0: Happy Wednesday, everybody. I hope y'all are having an amazing, fan-tabulous day here so far. We've got an amazing show planned for you today because, oh my lord, Kevin Durant and Giannis and Jeff Green and kind of James Harden and Middleton and Drew Holiday, game of our lifetime, game of the whatever, I am still on an emotional high right now recording this on Tuesday night. It's literally been like a half hour since the game ended and I'm slowly trickling down here. So apologies if I get a little overhyped or over, overzealous here for unnecessary reasons, like calling it the game of our lifetime, but game five of the Eastern Conference semifinals between the Bucks and the Nets a series that at the beginning we called the de facto NBA Finals because the two best teams in the NBA were facing off against each other in this series with two superstars who, when you tell them, go get me a basket, they will go get a basket. And we saw that yesterday between the Bucks and the Nets, really tonight when I'm recording this, but we saw it with KD and Giannis just going toe-to-toe over and over and over again. And I don't know if anyone was following that story with Jay Williams and Kevin Durant, where Jay Williams said he was talking about Giannis and Kevin Durant's game, and KD had told him, don't compare him to Giannis. And now Kevin Durant has denied that it existed, and I think personally the most likely scenario is that it was an off-the-record conversation because it seems way too specific for Jay Williams to be making up that story about Kevin Durant. But I also think that he betrayed some confidences in leaking that story or telling that story on morning radio. The point of that being, if there were any doubts about that Katie Giannis thing, Katie wanted to put it to bed in Game 5 because he had no Kyrie Irving, who basically has a high ankle sprain that's going to leave him out. And he's going with an injured James Harden, who we'll get to in a little bit, but ultimately... James Harden ended up scoring no baskets in the first half of the game. Got his first basket with about seven minutes left in the third quarter. Ended up finishing the game with five points, shooting one for 10 from the field, including 0 for 8 from the three point line. So no KD. I'm sorry, no Kyrie. No James Harden. Just KD and a lot of three-pointers from Jeff Green. In a game also where white boy Joe Harris, the fourth best player on the Brooklyn Nets, finished with 5 points on 1 of 7 from the three-point line. So James Harden and white boy Joe Harris shot 1 of 15 from the three-point line. Despite all of that, the Brooklyn Nets win a game 3 in which Giannis I'm sorry, a game 5 in which Giannis Antetokounmpo had 34 points. 12 rebounds. Chris Middleton went for 25. Drew Holiday went for 19. Brooke Lopez went for 15. Pat Connaughton was in double digits. And despite all of that, Kevin Durant had the performance of a lifetime. If there were like any concerns that Kevin Durant couldn't do it without having a great team, and if there were any doubts that from 2017 to 2019, Kevin Durant was the best basketball player in the NBA, Put those to rest because KD went for 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists. He is just the fourth player in the history of the NBA to record a 45, 15, and 10 game. And the first to do it in the playoffs. He played all 48 minutes. Not a single time off the floor for a Brooklyn Nets team that had to win game five on their home floor with no Kyrie. James Harden scoring five points and making one floater from the field on ten attempts and a bum hamstring who when he could and he struggled to guard people too with the bum hamstring, and Joe Harris having five points on one of seven shooting. It was Kevin Durant, it was Jeff Green, and the funny part about having Kevin Durant, Jeff Green, and James Harden together is that we can revisit this amazing video that you can see the link to it in the bio of the YouTube, or I'm sorry, you can see the YouTube link in the description of today's episode, but a little snippet of the song Say Ah by Trey Songs with both Kevin Durant, James Harden, and with the stylings of Jeff Green in the background lip syncing to this song when all of them played together on the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I just want to share this because it's an absolutely unbelievable video. So if you're listening to the podcast, pause, open the YouTube video that's like three and a half minutes long of them singing the whole song on like a, some sort of live stream by 2010 technology. It's it's one of the greatest videos ever. And now all of them had uh, Jeff Green had seven three pointers and 20 points, and they're all together on Brooklyn, and they just had this amazing win against the Bucks. Baby, oh, girl, girl. Over 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 I know I only took like 15 seconds of the song, but that video is literally three and a half minutes long of Kevin Durant, James Harden and Jeff green on the Oklahoma city thunder 11 years ago, doing that lip sync. And they end up winning the game here against the Milwaukee bucks, carrying the championship favorite Brooklyn nets over Milwaukee with no Kyrie And uh, the injured James Harden, obviously, but still those guys led them 11 years later to victory for the Brooklyn Nets. So let's transition over to James Harden before we talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, because I've got a question and then a follow up question here. Do we give James Harden a pass for that game? And if you don't give James Harden a pass in game five, what would it take for you to give James Harden a pass? Because this is the weird psychology of sports, right? These guys are entertainers. They're performers. When they're on the floor, we've watched so many of these sporting events to come to expect that these players are at the pinnacle of their athletic accomplishment and anything else would require a level of nuance in a lot of these situations. And so when it comes to James Harden and what happened in that game, so James Harden had been very secretive about his injury. He had missed 21 games in the regular season. We got 43 seconds of James Harden before he left game one against the Bucks. The Bucks go up 2-0, still no James Harden. Game three still, I'm sorry, Brooklyn goes up 2-0, still no James Harden. Milwaukee wins game three, still no James Harden. Kyrie Irving gets hurt in game four. They rule out James Harden for game five. And then, oh no, James Harden's going to play as long as he goes through the warmups. And James Harden gets cleared to play despite the fact he was being held out for the first four games of the series. And Brooklyn ends up with a terrible performance from James Harden And yet with Kevin Durant's heroics, they get the result. And in the grand lore of this game that we'll remember forever, we'll just remember, oh yeah, James Harden was injured instead of remembering that James Harden was one for 10 from the field, mostly shooting catch and shoot three-pointers or step back three-pointers. He did not make a three-pointer. He was 0 for 8. He was one for 10 from the field. Only shot he made was a floater layup and hit a few free throws as well, including the two big ones that helped give them a 106-104 lead before Kevin Durant hit that amazing dagger of a three-pointer as the clock expired from, like, what was that? Kevin Durant had to hit that shot from 30 feet catch over Chris Middleton because no one can touch Kevin Durant because he's the tallest basketball shooter in the world. And it goes in. but James Harden hit the two free throws before that to give him points four and five of the basketball game. And if it weren't for a seven of eight shooting performance from Jeff Green to help boost that average, hashtag regression to the mean, the Brooklyn Nets would have been blown out of the building because they were getting blown out of the building when Milwaukee had a 20-point lead against the Brooklyn Nets. And what ends up happening after the fact is the Brooklyn Nets win the game, but James Harden plays terribly and James Harden's is saved from a total evisceration by fans who for years have tormented and tear torn down James Harden. But the weird irony of all of this is that despite the fact they love tearing down James Harden, the result that they care most about is wins and losses. And so if Brooklyn wins, all of a sudden it spares, James Harden from some sort of backlash from people who are anti James Harden. And so maybe your answer is that you have a level of nuance that evaluates James Harden and says, yes, we should not blame James Harden because he was trying to be the soldier going out there injured and he probably shouldn't have been playing in the first place, but they needed him to be out there, even though he was a negative offensively and defensively, they kept picking on him for some of those matchups as well as picking on Blake Griffin because Lord knows Blake, if Blake Griffin is your center, Giannis is just going to screen and roll on him all game. And maybe, maybe you have that level of nuance, or maybe it's, you know, James Harden can't do it in the big one. James Harden is a bum. Uh, and James Harden choked away potentially a series for the, the Brooklyn Nets by shooting 0 for 8 from the three-point line. And to be fair, the reason I'm entertaining this is because of just how terrible James Harden played. And the fact that You know, he looked semi-healthy. There was never like a sign, oh, he's grabbing his groin. Oh, he can't move to his right. It just was James Harden played really, really poorly. And so I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't know how we evaluate this right now. And that's why I want to throw out this question because I genuinely don't know what is fair and what is not when it comes to the James Harden evaluations of these things. And statistically, he was a major negative. And James Harden obviously is not ever supposed to be a major negative because of the expectations that James Harden has being as great as James Harden is across the past few years. And yet I look up and I am left to a little bit of confusion and a little bit of back and forth in my own mind about where James Harden falls on that spectrum. And, and if it's that other way of bringing it to the second question, if not this, then is there anything that we could give James Harden a pass on because i think the only thing worse than what he did tonight is missing the game altogether and just not being like the the threat of james harden going off on the floor and having to have milwaukee game plan around james harden i think that's the only thing that could have been worse and do we give him pass for that because if he's not there i don't i don't think he can be a negative other than just not being there and so that kind of changes everything here. So is there no way, is there no fairness towards James Harden? And if I point to that, I would say, why did we get there specifically with James Harden? Because we don't do this with everyone. Like it's as much as we say, well, they're NBA. I mean, as much as other people say they're NBA players, they make millions of dollars. They are free to be judged by us, whether or not they're injured or not. We're going to get to a story on Tyler Glass now in a little bit that kind of reflects that. But to the point on Harden, we don't do that to Bam Adebayo. We didn't do that to Goran Dragic in the playoffs last year because those two guys are universally beloved. And Bam Adebayo blocked a Jason Tatum game-winning dunk, so Lord knows that changes all the math on that. And so what I would ask if your answer is, what would it have taken to give James Harden a pass? And if there's anything else, he there's nothing he could have done worse tonight than... He literally went 0 for 8. Like maybe he could have gone over 12, but over eight is still, I, there's nothing worse. James Harden could have done on the floor tonight, other than maybe missing those two free throws. But then Kevin Durant still hits the three pointer that gives them the win anyways. And so to that, I would say, is there, and, but two free throws are not the difference between James Harden gets a pass and James Harden is a choker. Two free throws can't be the difference in this conversation with that lacks perspective and nuance even in the slightest. So I look to that and say to the second question, you know, is there nothing James Harden could have done? And to that, why did we get to that point? Why do we view James Harden in the way that we view James Harden, uh, relative to some of the other superstars of the NBA? All right, Milwaukee, it's time for your treatment here. And we've already done a podcast last week eulogizing the Milwaukee Bucks. And I feel like we will have another one about what would realistically have happened had Giannis not signed his Supermax extension this offseason. Because now I'm looking back and I'm thinking, oh my God, could you imagine if that game had happened and Giannis was a free agent at the end of the season? Like after all that, just the perfect iteration of what this team is going to be. Now, do they run too much ISO? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we talked about this stat the other day that, that the Milwaukee Bucks have run 2.02 02 passes per possession, which since the stat has been tracked in 2013, the Milwaukee Bucks have the fewest passes per possession of any team in the league. Second on that list, which you might guess, was the 2019 Rockets, which was dribble, 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 James Harden, as Charles Barkley likes to say. The team that made everyone hate James Harden, connecting it to what we just talked about before. So that team had 2.2 passes per possession. The Bucks have 2.02. And the difference between 1 and 2, those point. Oh, the 0.18 passes per possession between the Bucks this year and those Rockets teams is the same gap between the Rockets and the 20th place team. And this is only seven years of tracking information. So the Bucs just run straight ISO. And I couldn't help but keep noticing it over and over again. It was Drew Holiday in the ISO. Give it to Middleton. He goes ISO. Or it's Drew Holiday gets it in the ISO. And then they give it to Giannis out of the Kumpo and then he works the ISO and drives in the lane or shoots a three pointer, which he shot a lot of three pointers in that game. And I thought that coming down from the end of the season, we'd see less of Giannis shooting the three pointers that he was given. I thought we would have seen more Giannis driving to the lane, which we saw a lot of in this game. It helped Giannis get to those 34 points while only hitting three three pointers and a handful of free throws because Giannis has not been very good at the free throw line. And yet I'm watching this game and the Milwaukee Bucks go to ISO basketball with a lead. So obviously they're trying to kill time. And this comes after earlier in the game, by the way, PJ Tucker had another zero point game. And I missed, like I said, imagine if he could have had Bogdanovich, you could have had him for DiVincenzo, DJ Wilson and a first round pick. You traded DJ Wilson in that first round pick for Tucker and Divincenzo's out for the season. So you could have had Bogdanovich for what you gave up for zero points of PJ Tucker. If you just kept your lips shut and not spoiled that you were tampering before the trade was finalized, because of course you were tampering before the trade was finalized. You need to make sure Bogdanovich was willing to sign with you long-term. Anyways, Just another gripe with Milwaukee in their front office and how they've failed Giannis across a few years now. The Milwaukee Bucks went from most most efficient offense last year. I guess technically you can have an efficient offense in ISO to just a straight ISO team with three guys who are really good at ISO basketball and hitting three-pointers. And it works out really well. Like Chris Middleton can create his own shot. Drew Holiday can create his own shot. Holiday had 19. Middleton had 25. Giannis had 34. The Bucks had a really good game, and they hit a bunch of three-pointers. We talked after game four about how the difference from games two and three to this was the two P.J. Tucker three-pointers, an extra Connaughton three-pointer, and an extra Bryn Forbes three-pointer. And then we can look at this game where they scored the same number of points and say, how did they get to that number? Well, Chris Middleton hit three three-pointers in the game. Drew Holiday hit three three-pointers for them. Pat Connaughton hit one three-point. Well, I guess that's not great. They didn't hit a ton of three-pointers, but Giannis hit a couple of three-pointers, and Giannis shot over 60% from the field because Giannis. there was a stretch where he scored like 11 straight points, and KD scored like 9 of 12 in the second quarter for the Brooklyn Nets and Giannis was just dominating dudes that could not guard him. I was talking with cam from DSD about this and he just, nobody could guard him. Just nobody could guard Giannis and nobody had a chance to, and he was just getting bucket, bucket, bucket. And then it got to the second half and they had that 20 point lead and just Giannis stopped driving. And I've listened to Bomani Jones talk about this with Anthony Davis, and it's a similar type situation because now PJ Tucker was trying to guard Kevin Durant for a lot of the game. But when Anthony Davis posts up, and this was a similar situation when they put uh, Cam Johnson on him during the Sun series, they want Anthony Davis to settle for the mid-range jumper. Because Anthony Davis, when he gets to the rim, can shoot almost 60% from the field. And he can beat you four different ways. He can beat you with the lob, he can beat you with the post moves, he can beat you with the drive, and he can beat you with the mid-range jumper. Anthony Davis is great at all of those things. And they have decided that the best way to stop Anthony Davis is pick your poison and let him shoot the mid-range jumpers. Giannis is in a totally different camp because he is the best driver in the league. He is the best guy when you put it on the ground and drive on a defender best in the NBA. He's won two MVPs doing almost exclusively that. And he's great with the lobs and he's great with the post moves just goes right over you. That's how he becomes the most valuable player in the league is by shooting about 60% from right there at the basket. He shot 63% in the last game. And that comes with missing a bunch of three pointers, but Giannis can't shoot mid range. He can't shoot three-pointers. But the thing I say about Giannis is that if they can't beat your fastball, just keep going to it. Just keep driving, driving, driving. And we got to the second half, and it was Giannis settling for threes, Giannis passing out of situations, and turning the ball over a lot because the rest of his team just isn't ready. The offense is all ISO. They're just not ready to catch passes. And that came back to haunt them at the end of the game when Drew Holiday fed one to Giannis and it went right through his hands under the basket. Of course, Giannis wasn't ready for it. They never passed the ball in the offense. So Milwaukee ends up losing that game. And in the second half, Giannis had only nine points. And a couple of them came at the free throw line at the end. And there was one moment where it was a tie game right before Kevin Durant. Or no, it was a two point game. It was 107-109. It was right before Kevin Durant goes down. Or right after Durant hit that three pointer from 30 feet. That just made me say, no. Oh my God. And then he hit it. Giannis was posting up with James Harden. And James Harden obviously has the injured hamstring. So you attack that injured hamstring ideally. But even then, you don't have to. Just spin to your left and shoot right over Harden from four feet or three feet. You're posting him up from about... 10 feet, let's say, 10, 9, 10 feet. So you just go power move to the left. Instead of like doing the 1-2 Euro step layup at the basket, you can just spin move to the left. Left-hander, right over, or even with your right hand, just go right over everyone and drop it in the basket. And what Giannis ends up doing is fade away to his left, which is his worst shooting side. He's better fading away to the right. Fades away to the left, falling away from about 12 to 13 feet, which is the worst shot in the NBA. Corner 12 to 13 foot shot, least valuable shot in the NBA. It's why it's like Udonis Haslam era shots from like 17 feet corner. It's one of the least valuable shots in the NBA. And fading away from about 13 feet, Giannis clanks it off the front rim, rebound Brooklyn, they go down, hit a couple free throws, go up four points. That was the game-winning shot for Milwaukee, or a chance to at least keep the game close with a minute left to go. Was Giannis Antetokounmpo fading away from James Harden and clanking one off the rim? And you know that I'm big on the Giannis camp, and I just desperately wish Giannis would request a trade because I don't want him to get stuck in second-round exits when they have no cap space and just drew Holiday and Chris Middleton for the next few years. And by the way, Chris Middleton, you're next, buddy. (laughs) Sorry, I mean, I don't know who's going to be available this offseason, but if someone wants to go play with Giannis in Milwaukee, Chris Middleton, you're the next one out the door. But anyways, Chris Middleton had a great game. He's a fine player, but it's just... Giannis can't have a second-best player that's Chris Middleton. um, Because when Giannis is deferring and only scoring nine, eight points in the second half. You need a Chris Middleton. You need a a, a Drew Holiday to step up. And it was a lot of ISO with Drew Holiday in the second half. That's what it felt like for the Milwaukee Bucks. It was a lot of ISO because that's their entire offense and a lot of ISO with Drew Holiday. And so the math changed on all of that stuff. And Milwaukee finished the, the second half with, 49 points compared to just an offensive outburst by Kevin Durant to help them score 71 points in the third and fourth quarter and Kevin Durant I think was responsible for like 27 of those 42 of the last oh here's the stat 43 of the last 52 points courtesy of stat Muse 43 of the last 52 points by the Brooklyn nets were scored or assisted on by Kevin Durant. That's how you get to a 50 point triple double with 17 rebounds is Kevin Durant being the centerpiece of that offense and just going to work when not having that extra star. And, uh, for the Milwaukee bucks, it was a deferral by Giannis. It's one that's going to haunt Giannis for a while, similar to that Kawhi series. If they do end up getting bounced in game six or game seven, to be honest, Like I said with the Kawhi Game 6 against Dallas, if the Clippers advance, which they did, and go on a deep playoff run, which it looks like the Clippers are, we're going to remember that Kawhi Leonard Game 6 for a long time. Or at least I will, even if a lot of you forget about it. I'll be the basketball historian, or the historian of the 2021 playoffs on that. The same is true of Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo, in this last game, because we're going to have the memory of what happened in the series. Oh, they lost to Brooklyn. Oh my gosh. Remember when Kevin Durant had a 50 point triple double. Yeah. I remember that. And Giannis had eight points in the second half, like nine points in the second half. And then I'll come in and I'll be like, Oh yeah. Remember how it ended. It was Giannis from about a 10 feet away, posting up a James Harden on a bum hamstring because remember, James Harden missed the last four games of the series, was ruled out for game five, but then ended up coming back anyways after getting cleared because, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures, team doctors. Remember how Giannis faded away from 12 feet on James Harden and the Bucks lost because Kevin Durant can hit mid-range, and three-point jumpers with the best of them, and Giannis went away from his go-to that makes him the MVP, if long-range twos and three-pointers are what make Kevin Durant an MVP, driving to the basket, layup packages, and just being bigger, stronger, and faster than everyone on the floor is what makes Giannis an MVP, and makes it such that if you tell Giannis to go get you a basket, he will go get you a basket. Kevin Durant played into his strengths and Giannis Antetokounmpo went away from his strengths. And that's going to be an unfortunate situation that the Bucs are going to have to swallow because if they don't come back in this series, it's really, really going to be a painful one given that we're now three play or two full years and three playoffs removed from them being two games away from the NBA Finals in 2019 with a first-time MVP of Giannis Antetokounmpo. And they've never been to that point since. And a little bit of breaking news in here coming at the end. Giannis Antetokounmpo in his post-game press conference says, quote, I want to be the one to guard Kevin Durant in Game 6. The 2020 Defensive Player of the Year and MVP wants the task of guarding Kevin Durant. So I want to wrap up the podcast here by going over to this story in baseball real quick. Um, So major league baseball is involved in another weird cheating scandal. And this time it revolves around the use of sticky stuff. Uh, And the background on this story is this before we get to some of the interesting revelations from Tuesday. Uh, During the steroid era of baseball, we had major league baseball pitchers counter the steroid revolution by using foreign substances as a counter to steroids as like, if you're going to use foreign substances, we need to use foreign substances to level the playing field and baseball turned a blind eye to steroids for about 10 to 15 years because ultimately it was great for their bottom line. And they've continued that pattern onward now, but ultimately the steroid thing came crashing down on them with Senate hearings and Barry Bonds And Biogenesis and Miami doctors who aren't doctors injecting Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez. And it all came crashing down in the end. They had to reform their steroid policy, kind of admit that they had made a mistake, ban some people from the Hall of Fame as a uh, subjective punishment. On baseball's part, despite the fact that there's no great way to legislate the cheaters that everyone kind of knew were cheating, but they turned a blind eye to and then changed their morals because the public conversation changed around steroids. But foreign substances in pitchers never really had to adapt. And so with the uptick in offense around 2014, 2015, 2016, with the home run revolution Um, three true outcomes increase in baseball where they had higher home runs than ever before and higher scoring rates than any time in 50 years. Uh, Baseball adapted because of course it's going to adapt if ball, if an irregular amount of home runs are being hit or an irregular amount of three pointers are being hit or an irregular amount of touchdowns are being scored, things are going to adapt because defenses aren't going to be like, Oh, we're just going to sit by and let this happen or pitchers aren't going to sit by and be like, ah, shucks, we're going to have higher ERAs than ever before. And it's going to affect how much money we make in free agency. So let's adapt and evolve. And one of the ideal ways to do it is just change the rules. And baseball technically did that, but they did it in a shady way where they adapted the pitch um, I'm sorry, not the pitchers adapted, but the they adapted the baseballs. They lowered the seams to prevent less uh drag, I believe. And so they made the baseballs go further and then they reversed that going into last year or this year. They reversed they reversed it and lowered the seams. and this time admitted to it. Baseball admitted to it this time around. They were kind of shady about it when they increase the offense by changing the baseball this time they lowered the seams to create more drag, which would prevent home runs because offensive rates were too high. And one of the evolutions of the sport was the uptick in use of spider tack and spider tack is like a homemade super glue that is, is marketed for mass consumption. And spider tack allows pitchers to get a strong grip on the ball to where they can improve their grip and therefore improve spin rate. Now spin rate is the stat that is most correlated to pitchers filth or success of off-speed pitches and successfully increasing the speed of your fastballs because you have a stronger grip on the baseball. And so once the analytics revolution of baseball kind of pointed to the fact that spin rate correlates to improved pitching especially improved off-speed pitches, pitchers started using things that would help improve spin rate, considering that foreign substances and sticky stuff are already common practice in baseball, thanks to decades of negligence from MLB on the steroid stuff that then they led to negligence on the foreign substances for pitchers. And so, baseball... I'm sorry, the pioneers of the baseball analytics revolution were the Houston Astros, and therefore the pioneers of the sticky substance were the Astros, which is how Justin Verlander has a career turnaround and how Garrett Cole has a career turnaround and how their changeups and off-speed pitches dramatically shift unlike anything we've seen in the sport. I don't know about Zach Granke, but I assume Zach Granke's on there somewhere too. So the Houston Astros are the pioneers of that. But to be honest, everyone's using spider tack. Even Trevor Bauer, who had been an anti-grip person who ends up then coming around on it because it improves his pitching and helps him win a Cy Young and gets the largest free agent contract in the history of baseball. He starts using spider tack. And Major League Baseball, because of the shifting public conversation around sticky substances and the fact that the public is now... Uh, more educated on this and more anti-sticky substance. Similarly to how they were, there was a massive outrage after the Houston Astros cheating scandal story was broken by Ken Rosenthal, baseball had to adapt and act swiftly because there was a lot of public outrage around it. And so the way they did that was by releasing a statement today, which had been forthcoming for the past few weeks because a lot of pitchers had known that this was coming and had been adjusting spin rate. It was a conversation for a while. They'd stopped using their foreign substances, or they'd reduced their amount of foreign substances, and a lot of pitchers saw their spin rates decline, and a lot of ERAs spike, and people looking at like, oh, these people are frauds, and a lot of pitchers being angry about this from baseball, and a lot of batters backlashing the pitchers on other teams, but also technically backlashing pitchers on their own teams, which leads us to today where Major League Baseball releases their memo that we knew was going to happen, that 10-game suspensions are the penalties for using foreign substances, such as spider tack, all the way down to a combination of sunscreen and rosin. And at the same time that this happened, it was announced today that Tyler Glasnow, the number one starting pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays, he was the number two last year on the World Series team, and one of the front runners for Cy Young, has a partially torn UCL, and is going to be out for an extended period of time, which will lead to him having Tommy John surgery at a time where the Tampa Bay Rays had him as their ace and were first place in the American League East, and in Tampa Bay Rays fashion, we're planning to trade him in this offseason to accumulate tons of value. But Tyler Glasnow was not done there because Tyler Glasnow very much believes that his end of using spider tack and sticky substances to contrib- to control his spin rate contributed to his injured his injuries and possibly cost him millions of dollars because major league baseball said you had to go from nothing to or go from using it as your mechanics of a very violent motion of throwing pitches like pitchers arms are not like the human arm is not meant to do what pitchers do But by changing the grip on the baseball, it forces you to adjust your arm to better account for where the pitches are going to be located, because it's a very precise motion that you need to locate pitches. And the change in arm motion is believed to have caused Tyler Glass now, when he stopped using sticky stuff and had to adapt to his um, and adapt to not using it, he blew out his elbow. And there's a very legitimate gripe here for glass. Now for these three reasons, a the violent motion of the pitch can mean that one throw tears a UCL or an elbow. This happened to Corey Seager a couple years ago for the, um, for the Los Angeles Dodgers, one throw fielding a ground ball, torn UCL, um, Denelson Lamette for the Padres, one throw torn UCL. This, this can happen all the time. It's, sometimes degenerative but more often than not it's one throw that affects your UCL or one swing that impacts your UCL and leads to Tommy John surgery b the motion of the pitch or sorry the the motion and pitch rotation has to be adjusted gradually over time which is exactly what Trevor Bauer was talking about with his statement Around the sticky stuff, which I wanted to read it word for word because he has a really, really strong point around sticky stuff, which is that uh, I, I want to make. I wanted to just make sure I have the quote here. So Trevor Bauer is talking about this from a major league baseball standpoint. The memo is fine long term, and it will serve to level the playing field. That is a good thing, but to implement it mid season when for three months you've promised players and teams nothing about your chosen enforcement of the rules would change this year and only one of the massive problems with what Major League Baseball is doing. They've knowingly swept this under the rug for four years, or I'd argue 20 years. Now they implement a knee-jerk reaction to shifting public perception. Hard to hear them talk about competitive integrity when they have no integrity to begin with. They've actively encouraged players to continue playing how they have in the past, and that is a lie. There's no integrity in that. So save it with the competitive integrity bullshit, MLB. All you care about is the bottom line of the business and public perception that is now negatively affecting it. And he has a 100% legitimate point because it's exactly what Major League Baseball did after the outrage around the Astros cheating scandal. And so that is going to change all of the math on this situation between trevor bauer i'm sorry between major league baseball and its pitchers that are clapping back at them and pointing out the hypocrisies in all of this because ultimately it is about affecting the bottom line and for tyler glass now his bottom line is now affected because he was forced into a swift change to a motion that has been perfected across years and tens of thousands of repetitions And it's now going to cost him millions of dollars in the long run because now he likely has to have Tommy John surgery and he sure has a legitimate gripe over it. And Bauer has a great point at the beginning because this is a good thing to implement gradually. Give a whole off season to implement this. Begin next season and inform people that this is the change. Doing it too quickly is going to mess with pitchers like Garrett Cole like Trevor Bauer, like Marcus Stroman, and as we just found out today, like Tyler Glasnow. And that is messed up, and it's also something that I hate because I already had gripes with baseball over the way they treated the Astros scandal and how they governed based on public perception and finances, which I totally understand. It's their incentive. I just have a moral objection to it when baseball, football, basketball... When every sport does it, there is a huge moral objection to this because it causes unspoken and un it causes consequences that are unforeseen and sometimes are foreseen, but don't matter because the bottom line is ultimately fine the financial bottom line is ultimately what baseball cares about most. And when people are outraged about the Astros cheating scandal or increasingly outraged about sticky stuff, baseball is going to act swiftly even when swiftly is not the correct mechanism for this scientifically and for labor's benefits. And ultimately, this all harkens back to a battle between labor and management and the corporate overlords of baseball who are about to lock out their players unless their players go on strike first next off season. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping into the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as wired up on Sundays. Make sure to follow, download, leave a five-star review. Doesn't have to be a nice review. Just has to be a five-star review. Uh, Thank you to everyone who has stopped in here throughout the past few days. Uh, We will have another episode coming at you tomorrow with some fantabulous guests. Until then. Enjoy the musical stylings of Trey Songs and Kevin Durant, Jeff Green, and James Harden dancing to a 2010 banger when all of them were together on the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's a great way to celebrate their improbable, amazing victory over the Milwaukee Bucks. Take it easy, everybody.